Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to new episodes of the Reimagined Schools podcast for the 2023-24 school year. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Goins, and I'm excited to bring you new conversations this school year with many of the top authors, speakers, and thought leaders in P-12 education. Once again, Rocket PD will serve as the official sponsor of the Reimagined Schools podcast. So if you're looking for the very best in professional development for educators, look no further than rocketpd.com. Also thrilled to announce my continued partnership with the Education Podcast Network, in which I am a proud member. If you're looking for other education podcasts, you certainly want to visit our website at edupodcastnetwork.com. And finally, folks, as we bring in guests each week to have conversations about how to reimagine schools, I encourage you to look at the show notes with each episode. That's where I'll have links uh, for our guests through their social media, websites. Uh, You might even find the occasional link to uh, go to the bookstore and buy one of their books as we're going to have a lot of prominent authors and speakers uh, scheduled for this this school year. So with that, folks, very excited to get ready to rock and roll for this new school year. As always, hit me up if you have questions or comments, or if you just want to talk more about uh, what guests you want to see in the future on the Reimagined Schools podcast, because we're about to rock and roll. The Reimagined Schools podcast begins right now. I'm Chris Nessie, host of Behind the Mic, Voices of the EPN, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. So we are back with another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. So glad to bring in an old friend of the podcast. He is the director of innovative programs in the Harrisburg School District in the great state of South Dakota. A big welcome to Travis Lape. How are you, Travis? Hey, I'm doing well, Greg. It's so great to be back and catching in with all the podcasts that you've been doing over the past several years. It's just been encouraging. So excited to be back to, to visit with you. Well, thanks for listening and thanks for sharing out episodes. Uh, I always enjoy talking with you. Uh, you you bring so much to the table in terms of uh, innovative solutions in the classroom and at the school and district level. What does a director of innovation do to kind of recharge the batteries in the summer? You know, it starts with just kind of tuning things out. I, I think it's just it's good to stop the mind from constantly going and just kind of take time to be with family, be with our kids. Uh, We just actually got back from a vacation. And so that's been good for me just to kind of break away. Uh, But then it's right back to the grind of, okay, where are we going? Um, Because innovation doesn't just stop. Um, It's constantly rapidly developing and moving forward. And so what's kind of our next set of goals for the district, as well as um, what what do we want to see kind of in the future? What are we hearing from our community and our stakeholders? So that that will start here in the next several weeks as we get into July of new trainings and new programs that we want to launch come this fall. So for our listeners that may not be familiar with your school district, can you give us a little snapshot how big it is enrollment, how many schools, how many um, how many technology coordinators are you working with, that kind of thing? Absolutely. So we are one of the fastest growing school districts in our state. We grow by about 250 to 300 brand new kids to the district every year. 
We build schools typically every two years. So right now we have seven elementaries, uh, two middle schools, but our third middle school will open up this fall. And we have one high school currently, uh, but we actually are opening up uh, the location of the second high school, but it will be primarily just our freshmen um, with our freshman academy program. And then our main high school will be a 10-12 building, all in hopes that once we kind of hit that 2,000 student number at the high school, we'll split the two high schools. So within the next five to seven years, we'll be two high schools, three middle schools, and probably anywhere from eight to nine elementary schools. Uh, we have a technology integrationist in every one of our buildings. Uh, so right now we have, uh, we'll have going into next year, uh, we'll have right around 10 integration that are focused on their buildings. And then we have tech support um, at the district level, as well as then one tech director that oversees the entire process. Um, our district is one-to-one -one with devices. And so we have devices at the elementary level, the middle school, and then the high school level as well. Um, all with Apple products were, were iPads um, all the way through. And so that allows us the flexibility to give our kids the tools to be creative with how they create their learning. And, you know, I, I've been following you on Twitter for a long time. I follow what's going on in your school district. And you guys have received a lot of national recognition as being one of those innovative schools. I think this is year six or seven or maybe longer for you in your current position. You think about the, uh, the evolution of what has changed during, say, the last five to eight years. Uh, I know that's kind of a big question, but I, I know you have a lot of people come visit. Uh, what are some of the things you show folks that come and want to learn how to be more innovative? You know, we first start with, you know, a lot of schools will come and check out our learning environments. And so we've really took time to think about how are we creating the best opportunity for kids to learn? And it first starts with our learning environments. It starts with our classrooms. How do we how do we create an environment in there? And that starts with that can start with what's on our walls. What technology do we have in our classrooms as well as in the furniture? Uh, I think too often teachers aren't trained with how to use flexible furniture. And so a lot of our rooms are starting to move to this more flexible environment where we have standing tables, we have, you know, uh, floor tables, we have normal height tables, we have tables on wheels, allowing teachers to create the environment that they want for that day, just very quickly, very rapidly. Um, that has changed drastically in my time as in this role. Uh, we've seen that shift. Uh, the other thing we've seen shift is, is also the technology use. Uh, we, we're one-to-one, -one, which is great, but now we're, we're coming back to this really rich conversation of what's the purpose of the tech in the classroom? I, I think COVID you know, pushed a lot of schools to get to one-to-one, -to -one, and that's great, but it's not great if all we're doing is using it as a substitute to a, a book, a, a textbook, a, a workbook. If we're just using it to substitute, we're missing the boat for what, what could be done for kids. And, and the idea is we, we know as educators, kids learn better when they're doing the work. And so we've got to get them to do the work and do the creating of like, how, how, how do I know what characters are in the book? Well, can I do a graphic organizer? Great. But now can you take it to the next step and create a story about these characters and their backstory and who they are? Well, that gives the teacher so much more information. So over my time, I've really seen the evolution of we got the technology. Great. Everybody's using it. But now we're even now coming back and having this rich conversation of 
let's make sure we're using it with purpose and not just to say we're using it. And I think that's very well said, as I might expect from you. But I mean, we use terms like student centered. You hear a lot of terminology about learner centered classrooms. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks that have kind of gone down that pathway because the person that does the most work is the person doing the most learning. So if a teacher is lecturing all day, every day, you know, for 48 minute periods or however long they are, I mean, no wonder they're exhausted and, you know, there's burnout and we, you know, moving into this teacher shortage, how can we get kids more involved to take more ownership of their own learning? And I think you touched on it. You know, the other, the other area that schools love to come see for us is, is our learner centered environments where we have flexible grade levels. Uh, No longer does a second grader just become a second grader because they reach second grade. It's, it's about finding out where that second grader is in their learning and having a continuum of learning in math in a progression of standards that then allow us as educators to find out what's best for every kid and put them on that path. And so a lot of schools will come to us, you know, seven, seven, eight years ago, we had one school in our district that was doing it with just 94 kids. And so a small pocket of our kids were in this type of environment. Today, we have this environment in all seven of our elementaries. In three of our seven elementaries are fully that way. That's, it's just how life is for those kids and those families. When, you, when you're in that attendance zone in that school, that's how school is for them. It's, it's flexible environments. They're moving amongst different teachers based on teacher strengths. So if, if a teacher is really strong in teaching fractions, and traditionally they would have been a fourth grade teacher, They're teaching fractions to second through fifth graders based on the progression of standards, which is a whole different way of thinking about elementary and what we do with with our learners there. And so that has changed drastically and that's gained more momentum. The reason those three schools are that way now is because the parents have asked for it. More parents wanted their kids in this type of environment. We then started to provide that environment in those schools. Over time, we hope that we don't have to provide a, a unique environment and it can just be the way school is for our kids. We're focused on kids. We're learner-centered, as, as that title would say, because we're focused on every single kid and what they need. Um, at our middle school, they just did a big alignment again, and they're, they're moving to that same type of pathway where it's one pathway in their middle school, but it's truly learner-centered, learner-focused on what do they need and how do we allow them to progress through their learning if they don't need what I'm about to teach that day because they already know it. So again, it's, it's getting to know your kids. It's building those relationships, which we know is the number one thing that will get the biggest result in learning is those relationships. But too often, I think we rush those relationships because we have to get to the content. We have to get to the content. If we pause and develop those relationships deeper and stronger, the content will just happen and more things will be accomplished sooner than later. And, you know, I think you and I talked about this, uh, you know, it's been a few years ago now, but this idea that, you know, why do all eight-year-olds have to be in third grade? You know, if if the kids are at a skill set level where, you know, maybe in math, they're at a fifth grade level, or maybe in reading, they're at an accelerated level. You guys have actually taken that and created a personalized approach. Well, I guess my question is, um, what are some of the, maybe some of the pain points in doing that? And what have you learned over the years as you've continued to expand? You have to know your why. This work is so hard that if you don't know why you're doing it and you're just going saying, hey, this is the next thing. We got to do this. We saw this. 
if you don't know your why and, and really anchor to this, this work gets so hard sometimes that it's just easier to go back. It's easier to go back and put all the second graders together in one room and a teacher in control of it all and be done with it. Because when you, when you think about that, you have, you know, a second grader, you know, a class of second graders, 23, 25, maybe some schools have up to 30 of them and you're truly putting them where they need to be. You will find out rapidly that what you were doing before you got into that environment was not what was best for kids because those 30 kids are all over the board and what they need. I might be ready to teach two digit addition subtraction, but I've got kids that need multiplication division or not even that they need fractions because they're well beyond just two addition, two, two digit addition subtraction. So that's, that's pain point. Number one, the number two thing is, is you've got to really focus on your standards. The curriculum is a resource. Once you can get to the idea that the curriculum is the resource, your standards are going to drive the progression of learning. Then you can now start to think about, okay, so if they know this standard, this standard builds to this standard, this standard builds to this standard. It's no longer chapter one, unit one, here we go, we flip the page, we do this. It's really looking really hard at the standards and then saying, okay, we've got this curriculum resource. How does that fit these standards? Sometimes it does. Sometimes we got to supplement, but what are those? And so those are like the two pain points that I see the most when I work with schools on this is one, they don't have a real good definition of why they want to make this shift. What is their hope and dreams for their kids? Um, that's, that's community input, getting community members, parents involved, PTOs, PTAs, and asking them what is their hopes and dreams for their child? None of them are going to say, I want my kid to take trigonometry. I want my kid to be in chemistry. They're going to talk about things that matter to them and their kids. And that is relationships. That's being successful. That's being a problem solver. That's being creative. Those things are all going to come up from that community input exercise of asking them what their hopes and dreams are for their kids. And then you take those hopes and dreams as a school and you make it then happen in that type of environment. And when you do that, the magic really starts to happen because now you've got buy-in from parents, you've got teachers involved because teachers have hopes and dreams for their kids. They want them to be successful afterwards. They want them to, but it's never going to be about the academics. The academics are there, but it's the next level that needs to be formed first. So those, those two are the pain points, the why, and then really focusing on the standards. How do you want the standards to be focused in this environment? If you get those two things done, the rest starts to flow. Yeah. And, and I think the other piece to this that I talk about on a regular basis is this idea that the role of the teacher has to change as well. And, you know, as an example here in Kentucky, we're going through this huge deeper learning movement. And so we have, um, you know, a partnership with PBL works and we're doing a lot of PBL, a lot of deeper learning strategies. And I think that's great. And there's a lot of really positive things happening. But I also think teachers are a little bit leery. Uh, and I think at times they we're not saying that you need to move away from direct instruction completely. There's still an element of that that's going to be important, especially at the lower lower grade levels. And you've you've referenced the elementary schools in your district. But that can't be the only way to teach in the classroom. And, you know, I, I've, I've talked to Matt Miller a lot, you know, the ditch that textbook guy. And uh, I wish he would write or we could write together maybe a ditch that lecture because you can't personalize learning if you're stuck in the front of the classroom all day. So, I mean, what have you tried to do to, to share that sentiment with teachers in your district? 
Yeah. And so, well, one of the ways we do this is in our environment. So it's the way we structure our learning environment. So we have, we have kind of three things that we talk about. We talk about the learning phase of, of academics, of a new, of a new concept. We talk about the application or the practice, and then we talk about the, the, the mastery of it. How am I going to show what I know? So the learning phase of it happens in several different things. That can be a flipped instruction video. That can be a small group instruction. That could be a direct instruction lecture style if you have a bigger group of kids that need that lecture. So if you have 10 kids, it doesn't make sense to do two small groups of five kids each and do the same lesson. It makes more sense to bring all 10 together, do the little 10 to 15 minute lecture or direct instruction, and then give them time to, to wrestle with what they just learned, the, the new concept in the practice. Then from the practice, that formative piece that you have there allows you then to maybe regroup again and either bring back a smaller group and hone in directly what they need. Again, that's direct instruction. I'm being very explicit with it, but now it's only three kids or four kids rather than bringing all 10 back and teaching that exact lesson when six of them don't need it. So I think it's rewiring our brain, especially in the elementary world, that the teacher doesn't have to be up in the front. You can be at a small kidney table. You can be at a standing table with four kids and give direct instruction, give explicit instructions, um, explicit um, instruction to that concept, and still be using really high-level instructional practices that we know get, get the largest effect on learning but it's at the right time when the kids need it. So for us, it's, it's structuring that environment. There's a learning phase. When you go into the learning phase, what type of learning um, practices are you using? Is it a flipped video? Is it a direct instruction? Is it a small group? Is it maybe tools that they have to read and then come and apply it with you in a, in a different exercise? So again, it's, it's, it's kind of rethinking that through. It's hard because... Again, when you have several different kids in different places in your room, you really have to depend on that structure to support it. And so we call it the, the I learn phase, I practice, and then I master. And they, they work through that cycle each time they're learning something new. And that has helped us start to shift this idea of a teacher standing at the front of the room the entire time. Hey guys, Dr. G here, and I want to take a quick pause to announce that I'm now offering a seven-week online professional development opportunity for school leaders, and you can learn all about it at my new website at reimagineschoolsnow.com. You know, since 2018, I've been producing episodes of this Reimagine Schools podcast, and I've been so blessed to have many of the top authors, speakers, and thought leaders around the world in P-12 education. I've tried to bring those conversations into my college courses that I teach in educational leadership. If you've had a course with me, you know that we're always going to go through Podcast PD in which we're going to listen to episodes and we're going to have engaging conversation about how we can create better schools for kids. Now we're hoping to bring that to scale. Not only are my Reimagined Schools podcast episodes considered by me to be a living textbook, so we have real-time conversations about best practices in educational leadership. But now I want to expand and offer this to everyone that has an interest in taking advantage of this very unique PD opportunity. So if you have the, the courage, the drive, and the passion to lead change in your school, 
then you can go to the website and find more information. This is a seven-week online course, and it's in a mastermind format. So we will be meeting once a week during that seven-week time frame via Zoom, and you'll be interacting with, with other like-minded leaders. This is a cohort model, so district superintendents can enroll school district teams if you want to go through it together. Our individuals, of course, can sign up on the website and join other school leaders from across the country and form your own uh, group of innovation to discuss best practices in education. The cost for the seven-week program is $299. So again, go to the website, check it out, reimagineschoolsnow.com. You can shoot me an email at drgreggoins at gmail.com if you have questions or need more information. If you're in Kentucky, uh, this new course is now eligible for ELA credit, so you can get professional development credit for going through the seven-week course. So if you are ready to take the next step and go to the next level of leadership, let's reimagine schools together. Visit that website, reimagineschoolsnow.com, to see the format. And those things we're going to discuss along the way. And hit me up on social media or shoot me an email if you want to be a part uh, of this new cohort experience to reimagine schools. And, and you know, I'm also a huge advocate for blended learning. And, and I've been involved with the Modern Classrooms Project for a couple years now. As, as the ambassador here in Kentucky, and I work in surrounding states. And this idea of this three-tiered instructional model of blended learning, or blended instruction, self-paced learning, and mastery-based grading, I think is so important as we think about what the future of the classroom should look like. But I want to focus particularly on self-paced learning. You know, we, we have to move away from this idea that the learning stops and everyone's going to move at the same pace, and the learning stops, you know, when the bell rings. So, I mean, what, where do you fall on the whole blended learning model and the self-paced learning? Yeah, I, you know, Catlin Tucker and I, we've, we've, we've talked a ton about this, this, this idea and this practice. And, and I always say, like, that's the first step. Getting teachers to think about a blended learning structure in their room is, is the first step to being able to personalize, to individualize, to meet kids where they're at. You first have to be in a, in a comfortable area. And so I always, I always use a lot of um, her, her books and her resources because it really gives teachers a tangible touch into this work. And once they get a structure in place, you know, I call it the invisible structure because you don't, it's not like it's out in front of kids. It's just an invisible structure that you're putting in your room to support kids along their journey of learning. And then that helps lead them into independence, helps them lead them into making good choices for their learning. I always tell people there's three things that make this work. Self-efficacy, self-agency, all leads to self-direction. If kids don't believe in themselves and believe they can do hard things, that efficacy, if we don't develop that in kids as young as kindergartners, they will not be able to be independent because they will always be dependent upon the person in the room. That efficacy, that belief in myself, I can do hard things really is important to develop. And you do that through practice. You do that through modeling and exercises with kids. And then that agency, that agency to make good choices. Because again, not all kids are going to make good choices when you give them independence in a blended learning environment. And so you give them that that agency to make choices and then reflect on those choices and coach and model. Then once that agency is formed, that direction piece, that self-directed, they'll lead themselves. 
They'll lead their learning. They'll want to show up to your room and not have you stand in their way. They'll be like, hey, I got a plan today. Here's my goals. This is what I want to do. But that doesn't happen in, in two weeks. That doesn't happen in a month. Sometimes that doesn't happen for kids for several years. So being able to have a strong foundation of how are we going to build efficacy, agency, and direction into our kids is really important to be able to take on a blended learning approach, a personalized approach, an independent practice approach. All of those things come back to what are we doing to develop those skills that you and I have to use every day of our life in some capacity. And, you know, I guess the the big thing that we're all kind of talking about now in terms of technology, I guess the sky's falling because of AI and, and all the different things that are going on. And it, it's just, it's an interesting conversation, but I mean, educators are really kind of losing it over AI and what that's going to look like in the classroom. And I'm not sure what to tell folks. What are you telling them? You know, I think the biggest thing with the AI movement is that we need to use, we need to think about it in the lens of how can we teach kids to responsibly use this tool? And sometimes a buddy of mine at the college level and they, it was, it was super fascinating for his final, rather than putting a final out there, he had them research through AI, some of the course material that they would have learned throughout his course. And what they quickly found out by putting in those prompts and, and, and asking the AI engine to, to pull it, they found out that the AI engine was not always accurate with what it was pulling. And so what, what he really wanted to talk to his kids about is that this is a great tool. This is a great tool that can support you in your learning, but it's not going to be the answer. You're still going to be the human element that you're going to have to make sure that what it's giving you is accurate. So there's going to be a balance between how can I use this to get my creative juices going if I'm writing a paper, if I'm writing a blog, if I'm doing any of that, how can I get creative topics, but I'm still going to have to be the engine that moves it forward. And I think if schools go about it in that sense of teaching and showing and identifying some of the flaws of AI, then kids won't be using it as a copy and paste for a paper. Like we'll, we'll really get it to a point where AI is, 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 is a helpful tool. It can support you in your learning, but you got to know how to use it. It's, it's like when, when we all got iPhones and, and our, you know, when, when I think about my first phone, we can't have those in the classroom. We can't use those in our classrooms. And now we're at the point where kids are using them, not always act, not always appropriately. And schools are now putting them in locker caddies or making them turn them in on teachers' desks. Why? Because we didn't take time to teach. We just gave them this tool and said, good luck. And we didn't teach them how to use it. We didn't show them. And now we're at a point where I, I don't disagree with teachers who are like, I can't teach with these phones in my classroom. We've, we've, we've set up some bad habits. I hope we've learned from that to say, let's not ban this. Let's not penalize kids for this right now. Let's teach. That's our job. Let's teach about this AI. Let's teach what it's really doing. How is it pulling this information? And is the information it's pulling always accurate? And if not, then we need to be aware of that so that we can always make sure if we're using it, we're checking sources, we're trying to figure out the bigger picture of it. 
And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I was just talking to a few teachers here recently. And unfortunately, we still have some school districts that block social media so it can't get through the firewall. And I understand that. I mean, I've been a principal, superintendent. I'm an advocate for using devices for learning in the classroom. But obviously, there have to be rules and parameters. But, uh, you know, the teacher said, well, we really can't do anything. Our kids love Instagram. They love Twitter. And I said, you know what? You don't have to actually fire up the old Twitter feed to use it. I said, pass out three by five cards and, and maybe create a prompt. You know, as an example, we were talking about what if Abraham Lincoln had a Twitter account? What are the kind of things he might tweet out based on what's going on in today's world? You know, you can you could spend a week just talking about those kind of things. A hundred percent. I think those are the things we got to get back to. You know, those are the things, those are the tools that we can really start to teach kids how to use social media and not hide behind a screen and say whatever we want. Like it, it allows us to teach again the fundamentals of putting together a post and what does that look like and what's going to catch somebody's eye. And so, yeah, I think you're, I think you're spot on about that is, is okay. Social, you, we don't need to use the social media channels, but let's use the language and the terms that they are. Let's create some hashtags from Abraham Lincoln. And what would he hashtag? What would he want that to look like? You know, again, it's, it's just taking what they're learning and applying it in their, their, their sphere of, of learning. And, you know, we talk a lot about college and career readiness, and sometimes that that terminology gets lost sometimes. But I know you have a very supportive community, and you have a lot of different partnerships with, I think, with your high school, maybe through the nursing or medical profession. Can you kind of talk about some of the community support you have and some of the partnerships that have kind of helped your your high school students really prepare for life? Yeah, that's probably one of the things that we're, we're really – starting to take off on is, is that work. And that was something that started really five years ago and it's just continued to grow. So one of our partnerships is with our, with our, one of our healthcare hospitals, as you, as you mentioned, um, our kids can get their CNA right in our high school. Um, it's a semester long class. They take the certification and then they have the opportunity to get a hundred hour internship with our healthcare provider. Uh, our kids that that do that, that do the 100, per, 100 hour internship, 60% of them are usually retained by the healthcare uh, um, hospital for part time work. Uh, and then sometimes that turns into full time work, depending on their career choice, if they're going off to school, or if they're going to work and go to school at the same time, whatever that might look like. Um, but 60% of our kids that do the healthcare internship, usually find find work in a job with them in the healthcare uh that we, the healthcare facility that we work with is just so thankful uh, that they took the risk. They, they jumped on, they developed their program based on us coming to them and saying, how can we help you? You need workers. We want to provide some rich opportunities. How can we do this? And they've not, they didn't really ever have a model in place for high schoolers. Now it's open to other high schools in our region. More, more schools are getting involved with it. So that's one of our bigger partners. The other one is our Home Builders Academy. That's a partnership with our Home, home Builders Association in, in, our, in our area. They gave us some funding to build an academy. It's an indoor training facility. We typically build single family homes and that gets moved out to either a habitat house or a affordable housing option. But this last year, we had we had something unique happen in our community um, called the VCP project, the Veterans Community Project. 
and they're out of Kansas City. Um, they help homeless veterans get back on their feet. And so they create these little tiny home villages. And so they were sharing about what they were doing in their heart. And we said, wow, we've got some kids. We could build these tiny homes. This would be fun. And they were hesitant with us. They're like, high school kids? No, like we've never done this. We usually just build out on site. And we're like, hey, when you come up to visit, come check out our facility and you might change your mind. And so they did. They came in and they saw this huge single family home up and they're like, oh, you can easily do these tiny homes. And we're like, yeah, that's our kids can do this. Like we we're working towards that. Um, they get two certificates from our local tech school in town. Um, they get general construction certificate and a residential construction certificate. Uh, and so that can go towards their construction management degree at the, at the tech school. And so kids get that option. Uh, we, we right now have built eight homes for the village, uh, eight tiny homes. Three of them are getting moved out in the next couple of weeks to the village. Uh, but it's been such a rich opportunity for our kids to connect with our community and kind of show what we can do. Um, another project that will break ground in the fall is our indoor training facility for horticulture and landscaping. Again, a partnership with, with our community. We, we saw a need. We met with a couple of businesses, said, hey, what is the biggest need? They're like, we need workers. We said, okay, we've got 1,600 kids in our high school. How can, we, how can we train them? How can we prepare them for you? And so we've worked hand in hand with them. We went out and got a grant. And now we'll have a 32 by 96 indoor training facility, greenhouse slash landscaping area that our kids will be able to work towards getting their apprenticeship license in horticulture. And so it's just these unique opportunities that because we're involved in the chamber, we're involved in economic development, we're connected, just, just simply sitting down with businesses and saying, how can we help you? Uh, not asking them for funding. Too often businesses see schools as the, as the person coming to them saying, hey, can you sponsor this? Can you do this? Can you? But right, we've taken a different approach to that funding. We've, we've approached it from the lens of, can you help us? make sure that we're preparing kids for the future. How do you do your work now? How does, how has technology changed the way you do things from business to automotive? Our, our, our automotive program has over a hundred kids on the wait list right now that want to take automotive class. And we just don't have the teach. We don't have another teacher. We have one teacher and we only have one shop. And so really trying to support kids and showing kids that they can go off to work and be very successful and, and be trained by the industry. They can go off to a two-year option or they can go off to four-year. And so really giving our kids the option and showing them path forward is, is something we've really tried in the last five years to, to really change that culture and mindset in our community that there are some really incredible opportunities that we can provide for kids. We just got to connect them with the right resources, the right people, and ignite their fire for whatever that career might look like. Yeah, and again, it's just some amazing things on the horizon there in the Harrisburg School District and that area. So it's always great to talk to you, Travis. Big fan of your work as always. Um, I guess the last question as we kind of wrap it up is, you know, I, I'm still amazed at, you know, you're talking about Gen Z in school and they kind of want and deserve a very different experience because as we continue to talk about these jobs that more, didn't even exist five or six years ago, you know, districts are doing these profiles of a graduate and they're trying to align their curriculum. How do you see the acceleration of those goals to help kids in your district get into whatever job they want, whatever it is, or whenever it's going to be available? Yeah. I think the, you know, the work that schools do in that is, is important. 
but it's just a piece of paper if you don't put it in action. And so I think it's really important to take your profile of a graduate or any sort of process that you've put in place and really make it happen. Like actually make it happen. Our profile of a graduate is what our, you know, drives a lot of our work in these different programs and these different pathways. Every time we go to add something new, we're looking at that profile and saying, which, which piece of the profile are we touching? And are we really doing what we say we want to do? And so my encouragement to schools is go through that practice, go through that work, but then, then actually put it into action. And that's the hardest thing. People can get really nice documents, really nice things on the walls, but the hard work is actually putting it into practice. Well, thanks again, Travis, for spending some time with me. All, all the best. I hope you have a great summer. And I hope you guys uh, kill it again once the, the school year starts next fall. Thanks so much, Greg. Thanks for having me. So that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. As always, a big thank you to everyone out there listening, sharing out episodes, and of course, creating your own podcast PD groups right there in your own school. I'm amazed how many of my former students and educators, not only here in Kentucky, but throughout the country, have listened to these podcasts, they've formed small groups together, and they've had discussion about how to create better schools for kids. And if you have a podcast group there in your school, and you want me to jump into a Zoom meeting or maybe even attend in person to sit down and have a roundtable discussion with educators in your building, I would love to do that. So hit me up. You can find me on social media at Dr. Greg Goins. You can always email me at drgreggoins at gmail.com. And again, if you have questions about uh, leadership coaching or some of the consulting work that I'm currently doing with the Modern Classrooms Project or Rocket PD, Hit me up on social media or shoot me that email. I would love to talk with you and help create better schools for kids right there in your school and community. So with that, folks, that's a wrap on another episode. Always do what you can to create better schools for kids.